Welcome to the New Money Review podcast, the future of money in 30 minutes. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. In this podcast, I'm delighted to welcome someone whose work I've been following for many years. Carol Alexander is Professor of Finance at Sussex University. She's also a visiting professor at Peking University HSBC Business School, and she's co-editor of the Journal of Banking and Finance. In recent years in her work, Carol has focused on what she calls the exciting new universe of crypto assets and their derivatives. Listen in for the next 30 minutes for a discussion of the recent FTX collapse, Binance, Tether, and why Carol thinks decentralized finance, or DeFi, will collapse in 2023. We also discuss the increasingly charged political and regulatory debate over cryptocurrency, something we're almost certain to hear a lot more about next year. If you'd like to support New Money Review, you can do so using Patreon. Details of how to do so are on the right margin of our homepage, newmoneyreview.com. Carol, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Could you start by telling listeners a bit about yourself, your area of work and your background? Okay, I'm a professor of finance at the University of Sussex. At the moment, I'm focusing on crypto markets more than anything else. But previously, I did a lot of work in financial risk management and also continuous time finance, exotic products, pricing and, and all that sort of stuff. Mathematical finance, really. Before finance, I was an econometrician. Before that, I did quite a lot of game theory. And before that, I did my PhD in algebraic number theory. Great. Thank you for that introduction. Now, we've just had the um, in the US, the SEC has, uh, well, yesterday, Sam Bankman-Fried, the head of FTX, was arrested. And one, in the SEC complaint against him, uh, one of the key points was that Alameda, the hedge fund that he was 90% owner of, had been um, given a kind of exemption from the liquidation algorithm that normally stops traders out of their positions once they hit a certain uh, level of loss. Um, why, why is that particularly important for, you know, when, when we understand, for us to understand cryptocurrency, why is that a particularly important point? Because uh, most exchanges um, are what we call self-regulated, including Binance and FTX and most of the others. Um, the only ones that operate like standard traditional exchanges are Coinbase and CME. Um, CME does the derivatives and Coinbase the spot and other stuff like NFTs. Um, and uh, on the margin trading, um, the CME uh, uses its standard risk-based models, which at the moment is something like 60% margin for, uh, for ESA um, derivatives and a bit less, about 50% for Bitcoin derivatives. But it's it's not span, you know, the old margin systems. It, the, these margin models, which I've, I've designed a few actually, um, are uh, based on uh, risk, proper risk metrics like value at risk and with lots of add-ons and so forth. Now, not only that, CME is not the custodian of its customers' funds, which is a big issue at the moment, um, and nor is it the clearing mechanism. It doesn't do the settlement of trades between, you know, counterparties. There's always a buyer and a seller for, for derivatives. Um, that's done by London Clearing House or some independent authority. But these self-regulated exchanges um, act as their own clearing mechanism. And that's where this um, insurance fund stuff comes in. Um, but they're also custodians. They're also brokers, uh, as well as being the platform for the exchange. And none of this is regulated. So when you put all that together, 
you've got a platform on which traders will not be fined or put into jail for using spoofing or any other price manipulative trades. And you'll see from my blog that this type of behavior is very prevalent on Binance. Um, and I'm sure it's prevalent on other exchanges, but I just haven't look, looked at those. Um, and so that's on the, tr the, the problems with the trading platform. Uh, and then the custodian and brokerage, perhaps we can talk about under another question because they, they also bring all sorts of issues to do with stable coins. But the, um, the clearing mechanism, you see, um, it's done in a very different way. Like so many things in crypto, it's totally original. Um, and there is, as you say, this insurance fund which um, when somebody's margin, which can be as little as 1%, <laughs> not 50%. Um, when, so that means a 1% fall, if you're a long position with 1% margin, a 1% fall would wipe out your margin account. And instead of having a margin call, you know, where they, the clearinghouse gives you notice, you have to top up your margin account, traders are responsible themselves to, to monitor their margin 24-7, because these exchanges never close, and top up their margin account when the price falls, if it's a long position, or rises if it's a short position, um, to an extent that the margin would be extinguished. And if they don't, the, uh, the exchange itself takes over the position. It charges them a liquidation fee for a start, so it's going to liquidate when there's still a little bit of money left in the margin account takes that fee, and then assumes the position. And of course, when you have an extremely volatile, if you have a flash crash or something like that, these insurance funds can assume huge positions on one side of the book. For a big crash, they'll have an awful lot of long positions, or if it's, you can have jumps upwards as well in crypto, um, and sometimes you can get a 20% jump up in price in an hour or so. So the short positions could could likewise be liquidated. So just so I understand what you're saying, so the exchanges, in, most exchanges in cryptocurrency, first of all, they they can trade against their own customers. Uh, they can they 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 they, they 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 get fees from liquidating customers, so they have an yes. incentive to liquidate them. Yes. And 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 the more volatility from their perspective, the better. Yes. Well, they don't necessarily want to have to liquidate their customers because. They rely on the fees that they charge ordinary investors. Which they don't charge fees to the professional investors. In, they, in fact, some these what we call market makers in many exchanges have a negative fee. In other words, they're paid using the exchange's own coin or something like that mm -hmm. to, to make the market. So to put orders in the book instead of ordering at market, putting what we call a limit order. Right. So, so in in this environment, for one of the clients of FTX, which was a related party, this hedge fund called Alameda, to be given an exemption from you know, automatic liquidation was was quite a big deal then, because they could then presumably just mop up other other losing traders' positions, or they could position their own trades to to benefit. Is that you know what's the significance of that? That I can't comment. Get out clause? I can't comment on FTX because I designed their margin model for the application to the CFTC as a right. consultant. Okay. I designed and built that model for them. Okay. So, um, and that's fine. You don't have to um, worry about people knowing that because it's on my CV and everything. But when it comes to commenting about FTX, I can't. 
Okay. Well, what, you recently wrote an article for the Guardian newspaper in the UK, and you've you've said uh, that ordinary buyers should beware of, of of trading on crypto exchanges because they're being sucked into perilously risky trading that only professionals understand. Now, yes. what, what 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 what's your you know why why are they being you know what what are the particular risks that retail investors or retail traders face when entering these platforms? Well, professional traders employ um, algorithms, very high-frequency algorithms. And uh, if the market is not really moving very uh, – what they want is volatility. Whether They don't mind whether the market goes up or whether it goes down. Volatility is income to professional traders in every market, uh, not just in crypto. But the thing about crypto markets is that volatility can be created using manipulative – what we call spoofing strategies. And that is what they do. They create huge volatility. That's why Bitcoin is so volatile. Right. So um, for the, from the pers- perspective of the high-frequency trading firms, the professional investors, they presumably want to have lots of retail counterparties trading on the exchanges because it's, it gives them a high chance of making profit. Yes. It's, we, if they were trading against other professional traders, it's what we call toxic flow. Right, because I mean, assuming that their algorithms are equally matched, they would have only a 50-50 chance of actually making money from the trades. But ordinary investors have no clue that this is going on. I mean, it's really, really fast trading. So, from the perspective of a of, a, of an ordinary investor, what is the appropriate strategy to, if you do want to, you know, invest in cryptocurrency? If you want to trade on one of these exchanges, what should you do? There's something called HODL, hold on for dear life. Um, And I think if you're a believer in the future of of crypto markets, um, or more generally in the digital assets underpinning a metaverse where, you know, there's um, Yuga Labs. I I won't count meta because their attempts are pretty awful. But if you're a believer in this digital future where these markets, these blockchain-based um, or cryptographic digital assets are going to underpin the entire economy, then I suppose one should think about a particular project, um, like, for example, the FIRE blockchain or something like that, where um, you believe in that project. You think, yes, this is going to be a, a, a fabulous product five years from now uh, and buy it at an early stage and just don't look at don't so buy, buy and hold, don't trade. Yeah. Buy and hold, yes. So invest, in, in, do invest in the future of the economy if you think that there are some projects that are good. But don't become a trader. There's no point in these markets. Right. Now, what about the broader differences between the market structure of cryptocurrency and the traditional financial markets like equities? You've talked about the fact that in crypto you have, the, you know, people can, in, uh, can enter trades that are fictitious, they can spoof each other. These, these activities are banned in traditional financial markets. Are those the, are the is that the key difference, or is it a, is it a c- completely different uh, set of rules as far as you're concerned? Well, one of the main things is the twenty four seven opening. That's a big difference. Yeah. Um, and the equities are, I mean, most of them are larger, much more established companies because they've had to go through what we call an IPO to become liquid, uh, initial public offering, whereas there are thousands and thousands of these um, tokens that have been issued by crowdfunding. Um, anybody can, can, and there were many that um, now, I mean, the, 
what we call the ICO, initial coin offering, but now we call them something else. We call them token offerings. This market isn't nearly as liquid as it used to be. But nevertheless, as I said, there are thousands of different small companies out there. And um, we're going through something very similar to the sort of um, collapse of the internet bubble in the beginning of 2000, 2001, 2002, um, where many of these companies just went bust. And we're not going to see that happening in equity markets. So, as I said, I mean, I'm a terrible investor. (laughs) Um, So don't take my tips at all. But um, if you were to be invested, I mean, I do have a few American stocks. So I thought, well, let's buy pharmaceuticals um, a few years ago. And I don't look at the portfolio. I just think, well, what will be will be. But I'm not expecting any of those companies to go bankrupt. Whereas if I were to do the same in, in crypto, you, the default risk is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there may be some survivors that do really well, but we, it's, it's very hard to say what, you know, what they might, mm-hmm. might be. Yeah. I mean, I'm betting on Ethereum. It's always been, I, you know, I, that's how I came into crypto, was listening to Vitalik Buterin on, on YouTube, uh, talking about this vision, you know, back in 2016, mm. 2017. He was amazing, and he still is. The Ethereum blockchain and the whole ecosystem surrounding Ethereum is something I really believe in. Let's return for a second to that topic of um, of, of, of clearing and self-clearing and the, in, the role of the insurance fund at cryptocurrency exchanges. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you, you pointed out that in the traditional markets, if you're trading in derivatives, you, 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 you're, you're, um, you, you have a position that... Uh, may require a margin top up. You're given a call by your broker. They'll mm-hmm. tell you to to add some funds to your position. In the in the crypto markets, it's done totally differently. You're automatically liquidated if your position gets to uh, you know within a few percentage points of loss or whatever. Um, before FTX ran into trouble, um, Sam Bankman Fried had some discussions with regulators about making the U.S. equity clearing system um, more similar to the self-clearing model that happens in cryptocurrency with automatic liquidations of margin positions you know what 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 do you think of those plans to bring the two systems traditional equity trading and and crypto closer together in terms of the way the that margin positions operates and clearing operates well thankfully i think that u.s regulators are too sensible to start thinking that they can learn anything from the way that crypto markets operate quite the opposite no, I mean, uh, it would be awful if that type of automatic liquidation were brought into traditional markets. It's not going to happen. Right. Much more likely, regulators are, will begin to, to get some control over these so-called self-regulated exchanges one way or another. So we've just seen you know, the last couple of days that Binance has had a lot of people exiting. You know, six billion's gone out of Binance, which is what happened with FTX. It's the same amount, but Binance is that much bigger. Nevertheless, people are running very scared now because it's quite clear that Binance doesn't have um, this idea of proof of reserves. Is uh, is, is clearly um, uh, it's it's a completely different way to prove reserves in one of these self-regulated exchanges. You have to prove that the whole clearing mechanism is robust. It's not just having a bit of collateral. Um, so people are quite rightly quite frightened at the moment, I think. Of, uh, and this will allow the ongoing cases, a uh, lot of um, lawsuits against these self-regulated exchanges. And um, the Department of Justice, SEC, 
CFTC all getting involved. Yeah, on your blog last year, you wrote an article uh, which which I reported on at New Money Review about Binance's insurance fund positions, and you said you didn't believe the numbers that they were publishing about what had happened to their insurance fund on I think was it May the eleventh last year or May the thirteenth when there was a very volatile day in cryptocurrency. Bitcoin fell a lot, and and you said you didn't think that they were being honest with the the figures they were publishing for their um, insurance fund. Mm, yes. So so well, this is this is a, you think that's that when you talk about pr- proof of reserves, you say that you, you're arguing that any proper audit would need to look at this type of of uh, of, of um, backup as well. Yes, we'd have to look at the whole operational process of the exchange. So what happens? We'd have to do what we call stress testing mm. in in standard financial markets. So um, to audit proof of reserves for, for an exchange that also acts as a clearinghouse and also acts as a broker and a custodian, yep. all those activities need to be put together, not just holding a bit of collateral. Right. So those kind of s- single point in time snapshots of assets and liabilities are effectively useless then? Mm, yes. And there's an awful lot of double counting going on here. I mean, I'm very concerned about next year. I'm going to do a, another blog like I did you know, last year, I think around this time, I put the great crypto crash of 2022. And I said that Bitcoin was going to go down to $10,000 or something. Well, it went down to 15, I think. But um, my great crypto crash of 2023 is not going to be in centralized. I mean, these things are going to continue faster than I expected at first. And there's an awful lot more to untangle about the relationship between Binance and Tether for a start. But I think... The, the, the main issue that's going to arise is that more people are going to go towards decentralized finance. That's trades that are recorded on the blockchain. Um, and there's this thing that actually brought Three Arrows Capital down um, was they were involved in what can only be described as a magic money tree between um, staking as a service. Lido is the big one there and yield farming, or what we call liquidity protocols. They're basically things like Celsius and Voyager, and now Aave is is the big one there, Um, operating more or less like a shadow bank, but offering very high yields on deposits. And similarly for staking as a service, and there's this incredible magic money tree, which is pretty obvious. I I, I have to find time to blog about it, but I'll tell you, I'm I'm sure your listeners would understand anyway if I just verbalise it. Imagine that you've got one Ether, yeah? And you want to stake it, but you can't because the minimum stake is 32 Ether on Ethereum. So you put it with Lido, which is staking as a service. In fact, you don't have to stake Ether. You could stake DOT on on, on Polkadot, or you can stake, you can stake on um, Kusama, um, and various other blockchains, and you get a different yield, anything between... Um, I think Polkadot gives you 12%. So you, you get 12% APR on that S that you put. Now, you'd think you'd just leave it there, but no, you get a sort of um, IOU called staked S back, right? And that staked S, you look on, on the Lido site, staked S or staked DOT or staked any of the other things can be used as collateral for a loan, in places like Aave, which is the main one. So you put your, your stess, one stess as collateral for a loan, 
And you may not be able to get one S, but you'll get close on that as long as the price of S and Steth are one for one. Mm. So you, you, you take a loan, small interest, nothing like the yield you're getting on the staking as a service, and then you get another S and you put it in Lido. And you get another Steth and you go round and round and round like that. And that's a magic money tree. It cannot last. So the double counting comes in when you look at what we call the total value locked under Lido and Aave. They move hand in hand, about the same, about five billion, I think, each at the moment. There were much more, about 20 billion behind. Anyway, so this, I think, is a house of cards waiting to come down. I can't imagine why nobody's written about it. So here we are. You've got your podcast exclusive, and hopefully by the time it comes out, you can also refer student, um, not students, sorry, you know, people to <laughs> to my blog. Thank you. I mean, so that's your that's your forecast for twenty twenty three that these schemes will unwind in the same way as the centralized lending platforms like Celsius, Block Five went bust this year. Yes, yes, indeed. So we're going to see a, a lo- loss of confidence in DeFi as well. Right. Um, Let's turn to stable coins for a second. So you, you mentioned Tether brief, briefly. How, why is you know why is stable coins so pivotal for the whole crypto ecosystem? That is such a huge topic. I could talk for hours on this. Well, let's focus on Tether in particular because they've they've um, they seem to have, I mean with, without proving any of the things they're saying, they seem to have made their asset base less risky over the last 12 months, if you can believe what you're saying, which you may not be able to do, but they've got rid of some of their commercial, or most of their commercial paper. and the security, the, yeah. I mean, Tether phase two is so frightening. Tether phase one was really frightening. We're now in tether phase two. It's fundamentally, I mean, the whole economy, it's not just the digital economy now. But let, uh, it's such a big topic. Um, let me start at the beginning. When I first noticed that Tether had a market cap of $3 billion, which was a long time ago, 2019. So I started blogging about it and saying, you know, it's moving one for one, the price for big, of Bitcoin. And, and the reason was that these self-regulated crypto exchanges do not accept fiat, or at least they didn't at that, at that time. They were completely... Uh, like anything on the blockchain, you know, no fiat rides on the blockchain. So if you want, if you were a dollar investor and you wanted to invest in crypto in those exchanges, obviously Coinbase or CME, you can put dollars on, but not those exchanges. So you'd have to get a, a use a different numeraire. Um, and either you could go onto Coinbase, which wasn't much at that time, and get Bitcoin, or you could go to Tether and Tether would mint this USDT, which is supposed to be pegged one for one to the dollar. And from there, so the Tether Mint would go to Bitfinex and then it would go on to Binance mainly, Bitfinex and Binance. It started easy to track because it was on just the Omni layer, which is uh, not exactly, it's a layer two protocol for for, for blockchain, for Bitcoin that allows smart contracts, right? Okay. So, but now Tether is everywhere. It's on almost every smart contract uh, blockchain. So it's very difficult to, to follow the flows. And the, the market cap of Tether went up to um, around 70, 75 billion at the peak, always keeping hand in hand with, with Bitcoin. The more Bitcoin, and then therefore also the rest of crypto demanded, because the whole market's highly correlated. 
the more tether being printed. But there is this rather worrying aspect about exchanges um, like Binance accepting fiat now and becoming brokers for tether. So if you don't have to go to Coinbase and put on dollars and get tether that way, or to Kraken, that was the usual one that people used, also a US exchange, semi-regulated. Um, they can, and this is the Binance business model. I get three or four um, uh, requests a week with money back, cash back, come and invest in Binance, get $20, refer a friend, you know, because they're absolutely crying out now for ordinary investors to put their fiat onto the exchange. And in return, they trade um, crypto. Um, and uh, it's much easier to take off. Uh, in fact, they don't even used to allow you to take any fiat off. They were like a sort of black hole for fiat. Now you can, but only in certain ways. It's much more difficult to take fiat off. Um, it, so it's, it's, well, it's difficult to get off Binance if you're not wiped out. Um, the easiest route may be to take Tether off and put it on Kraken and then swap for fiat there. But then you've got fees or you have to go through this long process in Binance. But look back to the point where Tether could not attest to having the fiat that they should have had. I'm sure they didn't. And let us suppose that what was happening was that Binance, which came from nowhere in 2021, they were hardly anything. If Binance was this black hole for fiat, and instead of sending the fiat to Tether, and Tether then having the collateral minted um, Tether onto the blockchain and sent it back to Binance. Which is what it was, which is in theory how it should have happened. That's how it should have happened. But just suppose yeah. that what was happening was that um, Binance were issuing an IOU, or what we like to term commercial paper. So Binance were taking the fiat, but instead of, just suppose, I mean, this is just a hypothesis, suppose that they were using the fiat to pay their employees, to build up their system, to hire so many people to the websites, the education, they were, that was where the fiat was going. It was not going to Tether. Just suppose that that's what was happening. Instead, Tether just had a lot of IOUs, commercial paper, which one day somebody might find out. Yes, maybe one day somebody will find out where their US treasuries they supposedly hold are custodied mm. and located, but no one seems to have done it yet. Or maybe Deltic Bank. They all use the same bank as well. Yes. In the Bahamas. So yeah. what, worries, what worries you most about that particular, about Tether in particular and about that particular relationship with Binance? Are you worried it's going to grow even bigger and then cause a much bigger problem for the whole financial system? Or it's, it's, I mean, just recently, um, you know, the news from Binance is, you know, USDC, they're short of USDC. They've stopped withdrawals in, in that. Yeah. That's a stable coin that I, I think is a, is a reasonably good when it comes to collateralized stable coin. USDC reserves seem to be pretty well audited, always have been. Tether reserves are now as well. But the worrying thing is the way that Tether are now setting themselves up as the institution for increasing dollarization is frightening. If you look at Tether Phase 2 website, they update their reserves daily. And sometimes they have some commercial paper, not very much. Sometimes they don't. They've got proper auditors. And so, you know, this Tether Phase 2, 
And you look at all the, the videos that are coming out of South America, almost every country in South America is now a dollar-based economy because people are paid in tether. There are 200 million tether ATNs in Brazil alone. Right. So they're going, these, I mean, Tether maybe in conjunction with Binance, they're going around the world, uh, South America, Africa, they're encouraging the use of, of, of that particular cool. token as, as the form of, it's easier than trading in $100 bills, I suppose, or well, a lot of these old, uh, yeah. don't have access yeah. to and various others. They, they would yeah. love to tie themselves to the dollar. Yeah. Um, but they can't, but they can tie themselves to Tether. And this is exactly yeah. what is happening. Tether even. <clears throat> Make um make a, a if you look at their website you'll see how they're contributing to the strong and stable dollar. Yes, oh, that's so frightening. Why no do you think the U.S. authorities have been? I, I mean, we know that the New York Attorney General fined Bitfinex and Tether a couple of years ago for false statements about its reserves. Million. But but why why are they allowing this? It's effectively counterfeiting the dollar. Why you know why are they not cracking down? More heavily well, this on is this. a big question, isn't it? I mean, is is this making the U.S. economy stronger? This is what Tether are claiming, that contributing to the strength and stability of the dollar throughout the world, which is making the U.S. economy stronger. Right. And, and in Europe, the, um, the, the, the only real regulation that's passed in law a few months ago is the Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation from the EU. Okay. Now, whether or not that can be enforced is, yeah, the president of the ECB says no, um, but we don't have, they just don't have the people available. But one of the most interesting clauses in Mika law is that stable coins that are not euro um, denominated are limited in terms of trading volume to 200 million a day. I mean, uh, Tether trades something like four and a half billion a day in trading volume is very, very high worldwide. But in Europe, uh, 200 million of all USD stable coins combined is the limit. You can trade in euro-denominated stable coins. So there is a, there's a, a tether euro as well. There's a tether Mexican dollar. There's a tether yen. You know, it's all over the place. Mm. Yeah. So, so the thrust of policy then in Europe is that if you want to have a digital euro, it should be, it should be run by the ECB. But if, if, as far as the digital dollar is concerned, it's kind of been outsourced to this private sector actor with, uh, with very limited oversight. Yeah. Interesting development. So, I, mean, well, I mean, the market cap of other tether is, is tiny compared to yeah i mean tether market cap is coming down it's not nothing like 75 billion now the binance stable coin is the really worrying one not only that binance have their own blockchain they're doing their own nfts that you know it's becoming like the amazon of centralized crypto it's doing everything and i wouldn't i, I mean I, so, uh, some people have, have blogged that, you know, the next stablecoin wars, of course, we had the attack on the Terra Luna. This was a new type of stablecoin. That's a story in itself, how Terra suddenly went from zero to 45 billion in market cap in the space of a few months. How did they do that? Mm. Well, they did that with the Anchor Protocol, giving them 20% yield if you put Terra with, with, that, with Anchor. So yeah. everybody was just changing dollars for Terra. To, for Terra, you know, the Terra Luna um, algorithmic thing. 
Anyway, so that was attacked. And now I think there's going to be some issues between um, Binance coin and the other stable coins, but maybe not Tether, because I think their relationship goes back a very long way. And that would be... Right. So the principal stablecoin war would be between Tether and, and, and Circle USDC, which is the... No, you know, Binance. Similar... I, I think Binance, that right. the, the Binance, B, BUSD, sorry, not Binance coin itself for the exchange. Yeah. Yeah. There's the Binance coin, well, for the exchange, but also for its own blockchain. It's a native token. And then they've got yes. the stablecoin, the BUSD. That's what I think we're going to have to watch because I, I, I think that Binance might seek dominance over Tether in... BUSD. Right. So, so predictions for 2023. One is that, that these DeFi lending protocols are going to run into trouble. And another one is we're going to see a intensification of the stablecoin wars. And regulation. And regulation. And not just 85 million fines from the, um, the New York State Attorney. The Department of Justice and the SEC and Congress are going to come in there and, and thank goodness for them. It's about time too. Yes, yes. So, so we're going to see some more jail sentences, probably. Yeah, yeah. Carol, thank you very much for taking the time to chat. It's been a fascinating uh, discussion, and look forward to following your work in 2023. Thank you so much, Paul. Good talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast: The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support our work, you can do so via Patreon. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website. Finally, please join us soon for our next episode.